This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burns Clan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness, very extensive bio, man, myth, legend, two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, Dr. Tisby? Bruh, this is special. This is so special right now. It's always special when we we can get our brothers on the mic. We yes. get the people who we really rock with off camera, off mic. Right, right. Who have been important for the culture, who are doing the work of justice, who are healthily reimagining our faith. And we have that guy, that guy And by today. the way, I want to mention we get it on the... Beginning of his rise? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This before, this he, has before no he blows. Right before yes. he blows. Yes. Because it's coming in 2022. Of right. course, we talking about Dante Stewart. Dante, what's going on, my brother? Hey, what's good, family? How y'all doing? Why y'all capping like that, bro? Uh-uh, about don't do that. Nothing but real talk. Nothing but real. You know we gas up. You know we gas up our people. Come on now. Hey, I feel it. I feel it. It's so good to be back again with y'all, bro, in the in the in the house of uh uh, uh the witness church of God Incorporated. <laughs> Listen, man, everybody has I first been... given honor to God. I... <laughs> Go ahead, do it. Do it. Hey, no, I, bring, do it right. hey, I bring you I bring you dearest greetings uh from from, from the esteemed Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman. All right, all right. Uh, I bring I, I bring you dearest greetings from the historic Tabernacle Baptist yes. Church and, and fellowship. Amen. 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 <laughs> Welcome, Tabernacle. Yes, man, look. Man, so people have been talking about your episode that you and I did in 2020 for a long time, saying, yo, bring Dante back. When is Dante coming back? And from that moment up until now, so much has happened in your life. Your platform has expanded. Your voice has increased. And I just want to say, number one, as a brother, as somebody that I'm getting to know and that I'm I'm pleased and honored to build with off the mic. I'm proud of you, man. I see yeah. what you're doing. We are so proud Absolutely, of bro. what God is doing on the inside of you and how you're walking out who you are. So, man, what's what's it been like? The past year has to have been a whirlwind, man. So many changes, <laughs> so many new connections. What's that been like for you? Yeah. Yeah. First off, thank you all for having me back. You know, uh, if, if, if people bring you back, that means you did something good. So, uh I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. But man, if I'm gonna keep it a buck with you, um, you know, so much of the spaces that bring us greatest pleasure and excitement are often the places where we experience the deepest insecurity. So, you know, to, to, to kind of look at my rise, um, is also to look at the ways in which like it revealed so much of the kind of fragility of whatever this is, <laughs> you know, what we call rising in influence. Um, of course, there are beautiful and incredible 
amazing parts of what it means to increase in your platform and things like that. But like in this season of life, bro, I've been really thinking in in a pastoral sense, like, you know, what, what is, what does increase and influence cost us? Um, what does it do to us? And I'm not even thinking about like, yo, how's your spiritual life or how's, how's that happening? But I mean, in a sense of like, oftentimes the demand outpaces our ability to give. And so something got to lose in the process. Either that's going to be our mental health. That's going to be our psychological health. That's going to be our social health. That's going to be our physical health. That's going to be maybe our spiritual health in, in, in some sense. Um, but but with the demand, there, 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 there's so much exhaustion um, that we are continuing to experience um, as people in general. And even me as, as as somebody who's carving out space and trying to carve out space in particular. So this this last year has been a roller coaster indeed. I mean, it's been full of a lot of loss. Um, I've lost a lot of people, um, a lot of very important people. Uh, my granddaddy is declining in health. Um, before the end of the year, uh, my son, uh, had a, uh, seizure, uh, and, and we had a terrible, we had a terrible experience with, with, with the flu with both of my children. Um, and so on that sense, like, like if I'm just going to shoot it straight, like it was, it, it was a beautiful year, but very much terrible. Um, but in the midst of all of that struggle, with my own insecurity, with the own kind of um, loss and and challenges, I am indeed grateful because this year has this last year brought me to places and around people that can only be characterized by the statement "the dream." Hmm. Hmm. I, w- I want to hold space for what you just said, yeah. as someone who has a son that has navigated health issues and scares very recently. Um, I know the toll that it takes on a father and you as a black man um, and also mm-hmm. generationally dealing with your your granddaddy and, and what he means to you. I just want to hold space, first of all, for you sharing that with us, which you did not have to do. So thank you. Thank you yeah. for sharing that with us. For sure. For sure. I'm happy to be here now. I, am, I don't mean to start on some somber note, but like. Look. Like I, I, you know, I was talking. I was talking to my boy Jason, um, and, and we was, man, we we was just, it, it, and it's kind of in reflection to this last essay I put out, "Stay Alive in the Meantime." And I was talking to Jay, and we was talking about it was literally right after we got finished watching "Don't Look Up," <laughs> yeah. and there was that that was that scene in "Don't Look Up" where Buddy was like online, right? And think about this, that thing like. <laughs> like that thing is crazy. It, it's trippy for real though. So like he's online, his wife walks in, and she's like, "Yo, you ready to go on the walk?" And he's like, oh, I got to get the truth out. I got to make sure I get the truth out. I got to get the truth out. And she's just like, whatever. Uh, And things like that. And so as we watched the movie, like he got finished watching it and he tweeted about it. So then I FaceTime him. And then like two and a half hours later, we just still talking about life. We talk about things we've gone through. Don't take good for a FaceTime. And when I, (laughs) I, I will FaceTime you in a heartbeat. Like I will, I'm that dude that will FaceTime you in a heartbeat. Just cause like, if I'm gonna be talking to you, I would rather see you. Um, to to kind of get that double, like you know, talking and seeing you, and so next time we talk, we good. We'll talk three months from now, <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> whatnot. But uh, me and Jason was talking, and, and and he was like, "Yo, like like we was talking just about the production of being a writer and the life of being a writer, and the insecurity of like what happens when you check numbers, and when you check like you know what when you think about what people haven't done for you, when you think about when you even think about like." 
when you look at other people and you see like, dang, man, I wish I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And we just saying like, yo, like that ain't the dream, bro. The dream is this. He was like, listen, champ, the dream is this. And it's being together, bro. That's the dream, bro. So like, I'm. I don't even know why I shared that. I don't even know where that came from. I think we was talking about like, I'm glad to be here. No, that's a Kairos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I'm a good but I'm glad to be here. This is the dream. That's a Kairos moment yeah. more than you know. <laughs> that's Kairos moment. Yeah. That's very important. Very familiar conversation around these parts. <laughs> Trust, yeah. brother. You are not alone. You're a good company. Right. You wrote Shouting in the Fire, and I remember the early days of how you were conceiving the book. And much of the book was produced out of an internal wrestle and Mm kind of how you were wrestling with your story, your journey, your narrative, and how your narrative mattered so much, but you didn't necessarily know how to convey it and put it into the right Mm -hmm. words. Figured it out, though. (laughs) And and getting it out in a liberating way, because you're a tremendous writer, tremendous communicator. But I, I know so much of your early conception of the book was a struggle with liberation and embodying mm-hmm. the liberation in the text of the of the book itself. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now and trying to write liberatively, how do you mm-hmm. feel about what was produced and how have mm-hmm. the black souls that have read it responded to what mm-hmm. you have produced in terms of your liberation? Mm-hmm. Man, bro, you asked some good questions, bro. I was about to curse just now, so you asked some good <laughs> questions, but I ain't, I ain't even gonna do that to the listeners, you know. <laughs> but man, there's some good questions. But for real, like, I, I think there is no greater feeling than one day I'm going in the church office. It's early morning. No, no, this particular morning, this particular day it was late afternoon. I'm going into the church office, about to go get some work done. I look to my left. Uh, Deacon Pope, uh, who is, I think Deacon Pope, she may be in her 80s, yeah. 80s, late 70s, 80s, uh, or, or whatnot, Deacon Pope. And she's reading President Obama's uh, The Promised Land, right? Mm-hmm. So we started talking about The Promised Land, and Deacon Pope is a reader. I mean, she is an avid reader. When I tell you Deacon Pope done read, she done read the Bible, she done read black literature, she probably done read just Social Security <laughs> number, you just don't know it yet. She, 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 when I say she read, she is well read and a sweet lady. A week passed by, I come back, she on the back end of like that joint. And I'm like, yo, Deacon Pope, I got this joint up here. That thing kind of thick now. And I don't know how you getting through. Promise land kind of thick. And, and, and she said, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And and, and and another week go by, right? She finishes the promise land. The next thing I know, I'm walking into the office again and she has my book, wow. right? Wow. She has my book and she's reading. And I mean, she has her old a uh, pen, that little pen. You know, we 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 write them doggone precise. Yeah. Uh, I got it right now. We got the pilot exactly. precise V seven V five. I mean, she write with the pen with the funeral home, and you got a little top that got that little thing that come down the side, uh-huh. and yeah. that that we as kids would break pen yep. and peel, yep. and <laughs> and your mama would just pop you because you're messing up their pen. She got that type of pen, so she had that pen right and with my book, and she read it, and I try and make a. You know, in min- in ministry, I kind of try and separate, yes. you know, who I am outside the outside of the yes. local church context where I'm serving in, and you know, and and kind of like what I am, kind of outside of it. But I did gift everybody on staff with a so copy good. of the book, and so Deacon Pope uh, had the book, and 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 um, she's reading it. Then two days go by, I come back, she done with it. 
And I was like, Dick and Pope. She was like, she looked at me. She said, she said, you did something now. You did something with this one. You did, you did something. I said, I said, Dick and Pope, it ain't, it ain't promised land. I know I did something. It ain't promised land. And then she said that. She said, well, you're not far off. Wow. And man, when I tell you, when, when I, when I tell you, Deacon Pope, when she told me that story, when she told me that, you know, there was no greater mm-hmm. feeling. You're talking about black people. You're talking about Deacon Pope who's 70, 80, um, understand, you know, what it was like to go through the 1970 uprising in Augusta. Yeah. Um, who understands these kind of living through so much that we have all gone through or whatever, and to be reading the first black president's book and then read mine and tell me that mine is not far off. I mean, there's no greater feeling than that. There's no greater feeling than the many black folk who hit me up and being like, yo, like you saw me in, 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 in the, in the work you, I, I feel it. And it does something to me that I don't even know how to deal with just yet, but it feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 that's it. Yeah, that man, that that's that that matters tremendously. Yeah. That that matters more. Now, now I want to make the bestseller list, and I hope that my book, I hope President Obama get my book and be like, well, you know, this actually not very far off. Dude, he's doing something. And then hit me up and follow me Bruh. or something like that. And President Obama follow me, and I slide in them DMs and be like, hey, bro. It's good to see you, brother. Hey, baby. Uh, I hope that he get it yes. and, and 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 things like that, and he get on the bestseller list and stay on there, you know, and and that you know every book that I write become, you know, almost like bell hooks. Like right. like whenever you meet bell hooks, you meet a canon yes. of literature. Yes. Whenever you meet J- J- uh, Jason Reynolds, you meet a canon of literature. Whenever you meet Kiese and yes. Jasmine, uh, and Disha and Robert and all these brilliant black writers, Jamar. you meet canon. And so, and indeed, Jamar, like, of course, you know, I ain't want to be like that and be like, hey, Jamar, and he hosting, so I ain't want to be that <laughs> dude, but, and, and Jamar, yeah, uh, <laughs> and Jamar, for real though, like facts, like, like 100, just keep it a buck, like, like, I do want that, but like, there's no better feeling than like, yo, your joint is amazing, yeah. well-written, and then when y'all look at the endorser list, it's, like it's a who's who y'all, bonkers. I, it's a who's who. You, nah, I ain't gonna I ain't gonna say too much on that. But, you know yeah. what's so incredible? I was gonna kick it to Jamar, but there's something I cannot get away from, and it is the the word shout and how you incorporate a shout. And I didn't want to get too far down the line, getting into the contents of the book without talking about the juxtaposition and the combination of shouting and fire, being in the fire mm. and shouting in the midst mm-hmm. of it, which is both celebratory mm-hmm. and painful, you know, which is both mm-hmm. joy mm-hmm. and struggle. Can you talk mm-hmm. about how important the shout has become to you, especially someone who is becoming liberated mm-hmm. from a white evangelical context that has mm-hmm. muted expression, a reformed space mm-hmm. that looked at your expression as antagonistic to God and as unholy mm-hmm. and at some points impure, and now the ability mm-hmm. to shout. Can you talk about what the shout has meant for mm-hmm. you so much so that you name your book after mm-hmm. it? Yeah, facts, facts. When I think about preaching, in a sense, when we're in the preaching moment, one of the things that, you know, when we come to the text and really any text, when we're doing any type of literary analysis of of, of text or theological analysis of text, we're always in some sense looking for that tension yes. in the text. What is 
what is the tension? Because wherever we find the tension, we find both the trial and the testimony. So what is that tension we're living in? And for me, you know, shouting, like you said, bro, is the tension. It is the juxtaposition of uh, on the one hand, you're able to dance. But on the other hand, you're in fire uh, that both suffocates you, uh, but also ultimately it will destroy you. So Mm. no matter how much you dance, no human being can survive the fire, hmm. you know? And so to, to juxtapose that, that to be able to say, I'm shouting within the fire and in some sense that I outlasted and survived it, uh, which especially is at the beginning of that first page, that first chapter. And even, you know, in the last chapter on the last line that we are exhausted, but we catch our breath again. It is me in some sense, like, Telling people to look at yourself, particularly looking at black people, look at us, look at everyday ordinary stories of us and look at the people around you. Look at your grandma, look at your, look at your granddaddy, look at your uncle who may have died. Look at your your partner, look at your friends around you, look at other people that's in, pop, in, in popular culture, look at books that don't shape you. And everywhere you turn, you will see life. Mm-hmm. You won't you you may see destruction. That is true. But everywhere you turn, you will see life. And I'm thinking of June Jordan, who in that poem, who look at me is very much a part of how I was thinking about shouting in the fire. Even as I was writing the book, I was also uh, writing uh, a paper on June Jordan uh, entitled June Sermon. Um, And I did a reading both of who look at me and a a poem about my rights. And one of the things that struck me as I read who look at me was June Jordan was trying to get us to uh, understand the gaze and how we look at ourselves. When she, in some senses, is asking the question, who look at me, she, in in, in very many ways, both as a black feminist and as a black woman, as as one who's black, she, she is looking at the ways in which white society destroys her, but also she's looking at the ways in which black men oftentimes wound her as well, particularly her father, as she write about in her own memoir, Soldier. And she in this poem who look at me is asking us the question of whose gaze Mm. is the gaze that we should be looking at? Whose gaze, whose eyes are the eyes that we see the world through? And she goes on and she says this, that I am black alive and looking back at you. And for me, shouting in the fire, along with Audre Lorde, along with James Cone, along with uh, Tony K. Bombara and Tony Morrison, and even contemporary people, particularly who I was reading as I was writing, Kiese, Jasmine Ward, and, and, and Sarah Broom, um, as I was kind of even thinking about how I want my book to feel as a piece of literature. When I look at their work, I see, and even in Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me was one of, another one of the books uh, that I was reading as well. When I look at their work, I see them being honest and vulnerable in ways that says, okay, whatever happened, it hurts. And this is how it hurt. And this is how I, you know, hurt others. Uh, and, and, and this is how this world has is hurting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also like June Jordan, I am black and live and looking back at you. They are in some sense saying that to look back at you is to tell you that I still have my power. Hmm. I still have my voice. You may have taken things from me, true enough, and you took some real things from me and I am wounded. But as Alice Walker say, saw what I consider a scar 
and redefined it as a world. Hmm. And for me, shouting in the fire, the writing, the feel, the imagery, the symbolism, the plot, the structure, the feeling of it is about that redefining, taking back that narrative of what people took from me, what I took from myself, and trying to figure out a way how to find joy and aliveness each and every single day. So that was the reason why shouting and fire was juxtaposed. And you see these narratives woven out. This hurts and this burns, but this did not destroy us. Oof. Boy, deep, boy. Hey folks, Jamar Tisby here, and I am so grateful for your support, your listening, your engagement with the Pass the Mic podcast. I'm wondering if this podcast has been helpful to you, challenging, encouraging, if you would consider becoming a paid subscriber to the podcast for as little as $1 an episode, you can help keep this good work going. Just visit patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's patreon.com slash pass the mic. We appreciate you for your support. But That's deep. a sermon. Listen, um, hey. you talk about Deacon Pope being a reader, and you yeah. are a reader. This is what strikes me about you. Uh, your writing is lyrical, it's poetic, and as you've mentioned, it's shaped by the folks you're reading. I would, I want you to talk about some of the wounds that you incurred in white evangelicalism, but more so, how did black literature help to dress those wounds? Mm, mm, yeah. So, I, I mean, hey, y'all, y'all at this moment, let's let's put a parenthetical pause. Y'all go back and look at this the episode from 2020 uh, and then get the book or look up online or something like that because we're going to go through the Cliff Notes version of this story. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And so, and so, because because I do want I, I I do want to be mindful of time, and I do want to make sure we really talk about black literature because I really think this is an important point. So, like when I was preaching, teaching, leading, so I raised Pentecostal, um, go play yeah, football yeah. at Clemson, get involved in white churches, um, get involved in reading John Piper, John MacArthur, yeah. um, and, and and the likes, and even. Uh, you know, for the sake of this conversation, we know this, uh, getting involved with black and reformed ish like mm -hmm. dudes, uh, during that moment. Um, and, and what that meant as a phenomena, as a religious phenomena for so many young black people, what it meant to, for, for the symbolism of the young black and reformed person, uh, not people, but just person as a symbol. And so I got involved with that and then, you know, over time, you know, over and over time, that shaped how I thought about myself, yeah. that shaped how I thought about mm -hmm. black people, that shaped, that shaped in some sense my solidarity towards blackness. And studies suggest that the more and more young black people and really any marginalized community invest and be involved in white social space, particularly white religious space, the more conservative they become and the more uh, uh, the more they distance themselves from the way they were raised and the people that they were yeah. raised around, yep. et cetera, their culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the more that they individualize their own racial identity. And I think this was Dr. Ryan Cobb out of UGA um, cited, cited a study. might have been a Pew Research joint 
um, that came out as well. Um, but then over time, you know, as I'm preaching, teaching, leading in the space, I started writing and writing on unity. Then I was, mm-hmm. you know, preaching about unity and I was like the racial reconciliation yeah. guy. But then Philando Castile, Alton Sterling and Donald Trump happened yeah. and it revealed to me, particularly it wasn't just simply those deaths and, you know, the ways in which white people responded to those deaths and the way they responded to Donald Trump. But it was also about the way how what I was around made me become to myself and become mm, to others, particularly yes. my wife and other black people around me, that in some sense, theology did not become a we- a world to be explored, but it became a weapon to be hmm. used. And so I used the Bible, I used theology, I used John Calvin, I used John Piper, I used all of these books uh, of which are not in my library, thank God. Yeah. Um, I used all these books uh, to 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 diminish, to belittle, uh, and ultimately I destroy people. And it was this theology that whenever our theology uh, believes that human beings, you know, are bad people, and, and we're convinced that we that we can only be bad, and God, in some sense, can only make us good. No matter what people believe about that, what that will do is that will make you relate to another person as only bad. Mm-hmm. And then, therefore, you won't be able to receive any of the good that they bring to the world as an image bearer. And not only will you have bad theology, but you will embody bad religion uh, when it comes to traditions and practices and rhythms and rituals. And so that's what I have become. And I'm, I'm thinking particularly about my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I don't know if people talk about this enough. Um, particularly when they interview me, partly because, you know, I mean, you ain't trying to get in people relationship business. Uh, and number two, you know, you it, it's very hard. I mean, it's a very hard subject to talk about. Yes. Um, but I do want to talk about the ways in which theology's, theology makes us harm those who's closest to us. Hmm. I'll never forget when Charleston, when, when the Charleston massacre happened and Mike Brown happened and, and, and I went on Facebook um, and this was before even Donald Trump and Philando Castile and, and Alton Sterling happened. My wife changed her Facebook background to the South Carolina uh, flag that had the the, the nine um, the nine birds yes. on it. Um, and, and, you know, this is my heavy John MacArthur days, um, John Piper, John MacArthur days. Um, and what what happened was President Barack Obama went and preached the eulogy. Right. And so as this eulogy is being preached, I go on Facebook and I go on this diatribe about how can people say that President Barack Obama preached a sermon when he's not a Christian? Wow. Well, 200 comments later, 200 comments later, um, most of which was correcting me um, and, 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 and just ashamed of me, rightly so. Uh, 200 comments later, you know, ended with me and my wife, you know, like my wife being very much disgusted with me. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's it's a hard thing because even, even what's crazy is like years later, same similar situation happens. Mm-hmm. And I am now in this moment at Enterprise Rent-A-Car working and yeah. talking about unity, yeah. that white people getting better. I'm the first black dude to preach at the church. And then Michaela tells me, she looks at me and she says, Dante, you ha- you don't have a damn thing to offer black people. Wow. I'm yep. shook in this moment yep. when she says that. And then from there, I go home and talk to my wife and gripe and complain to her. And this is what she says. She says, you always listening to other people when I've yes. been telling you this the whole time. Mm. 
<laughs> and I've been telling you this the whole time. And oftentimes this is what being inside of, you know, those white spaces. And I would say pretty much any space can do this to someone where it can turn us into the worst of people, yes. especially toward those we love. And, and, and in some sense, this was beyond church. Mm-hmm. This is like, yes. yo, we got to work out. Like, like our marriage is in shambles because I love the idea of what it means to be able to quote John MacArthur around white people and, and John Piper and to talk in these robust, quote unquote, theological discussions and perform a certain type of way and whatever clout and benefit that it brings. Mm. I love that more than I love the mm. idea of being concerned with what actually hurt my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say that one more time for people. Yeah. In that moment, I love the idea of what being in ministry meant for me more than I was in love with the idea of caring about what hurt mm. my wife. And so this was a challenging time, yeah. you know, for yeah. me and for my family. And, you know, it was, it, it was a very, very tough, tough moment. And then it was out of that moment, you know, that really let me know that, okay, whatever way that I'm doing this thing called religion and Christianity and church it is is not working. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was it was the realization that is not working that let me know that okay, I needed to change. And that was a messy, 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 messy process. Mm, yes. It was very hard. I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of opportunities. I lost I mean, I was hurt so bad. I mean, I'll never forget, man. I'm I'm preaching, teaching, leading. I'm doing everything to believe in these these people and, and believe that they can actually change. And then I get hit with this. Like, yo, we were supposed to bring you on staff, but then something came up on the budget. And then, oh, by the way, we believe race becoming too much in your mm. life. And the audacity of a white man, a white Southern Christian conservative man to tell me that race is becoming yes. too, too much in my life is the height of white male audacity. Yes. Yes. Mm. But then I think about it, you know, that that there are certain things that, that that happen in our lives that oftentimes wisdom can only come by experience. Yes. And I'm and I'm thinking, I'm thinking in the sense of, you know, I didn't take y'all the quick way. I took you the roundabout way. Mm. So that that way in some sense wouldn't destroy you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why I ended up there or why I went through what I went through. But I do know that it did lead me into wisdom, yes. particularly black wisdom, that 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 let me know I did not have to prove myself. I did not have to prove my humanity. I did not have to prove my self-worth. And that indeed black people were worth the best that any of us have to yes. offer. And it was really through my reading of James Ball when I read The Fire Next Time. And I'll never forget reading The Fire Next Time and reading the section that it was the, the line that it was intended that you would perish. Mm. And he goes on to say that what they do and what they make you endure is not a testament to your inferiority, but it is a testament to yes. their inhumanity yes. and their fear. It was intended that you perish, but you did not. And he tell and he tells his nephew. In the end, you come from somewhere. Yes, you, do. you come from a people. 
And, and, and you come, you come and you need to know that and you need to find out how to get back. Yes. And so for me, as I sat there, wounded, lost, depressed, losing weight, struggling, like, <laughs> I mean, worrying about what they're saying, worrying about what they're doing. Then at that moment, I had walked away from my job. I had quit my job because I thought they was going to bring me on staff. And I was in that moment of depression and struggle. It was Baldwin that let me know, Dante, life does not end in this moment. Mm. And for me, that's a sacred endeavor. Mm -hmm, You know, people, people talk about the Bible and talk about their love for the Bible. And they talk about the sacredness of the Bible. And one of the things that makes the Bible so sacred is not because it is a, you know, a a, a rule book. People like to say basic instructions before leaving earth. Um, But it's it's power lies in the living testimony, a living story that that one, if one is using the acronym, that it is boundless illustrations becoming lived Mm -hmm. experiences. Mm It is it is illustrative. It is illustrations of lives, of people, of complexity, of humanity becoming lived experience. We take the illustrations of the past and we live out that reality in the present. So for me, the Bible couldn't do it for me. I'm going to just keep it above. Like it couldn't do it for me in that moment. When I went to Nehemiah, when I went to Jeremiah, when I went to when I went to uh, Hosea, when I went to Paul and Peter and James and John, I love what they did. But at the end of the day, they were not writing to me and for me, hmm. but they had something to say about the reality that I was experiencing. And the sacredness of this story and the power of it is that it is stories that give us meaning and the power to understand that there is something beyond whatever people have done to me. Yeah. Yes, that I can keep on going. That there, that there is a trans a testimony that is transferred from generation to generation to tell of the goodness of the yes. Lord and what God has done. And so when I went to Baldwin, and Baldwin is recounting now, a hundred years later, he's recounting a testimony to his nephew, yes, a sacred story of the ways in which black people have, as Sadia Hartman said, taken bare need. And turned it into an arena of elaboration. And for me, that journey is even to this day continuous. I want to find out how black people in the way that we have experienced ourselves, in the way that we have experienced God, in the way that we have experienced the world and what we have created and what we have done and what in ways we have failed, not telling the triumphal story. But telling a story that is a human story that understands that God is at work and we are as well. And so instead of not just going to the book of Nehemiah, I want to go to the book of Baldwin (laughs) because I believe God has something to say there for me and for us. This is so there's so much in this. I I think I, I, I think of when Baldwin writes to his nephew in this little line, this throwaway line, which I'm so fascinated with when he says, and now you must survive because we love you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. how powerful that is, and how I actually return to that often in moments of uh, desolation or confusion, right? Mm-hmm. The survival because mm-hmm. of love, and because of black love, yes, and because of black Facts. familial love. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to also point out in the midst of this how important it is for us not just to appreciate 
black literature, as Jamar was talking about, in the context of consuming it, but really savoring mm. it. And mm. the black writing mm-hmm. process is a sacred process. And there's so much that goes into the pain of that. And watching you navigate that and then produce what you did, I, I have to read some of your writing. Is that okay? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. <sighs> the Jesus I preach, this is what you said, the Jesus I preach must make us free, not quiet, mm. not just Christian, but black. I needed to be around other black folk who knew about the apathy of white folk to dead black bodies, who knew about anointing oil, midnight tearing services, pig feet, and livers with hot sauce, praise breaks and protests, because the people around me didn't see or know me, see or know us. Mm. I think what is so powerful is that your writing is a conduit for, for really illuminating vision and mm-hmm. how we can be seen mm-hmm. and how we can refuse to not be seen in the ways that God has mm-hmm. actually called for us to be lived bodies, to be lived people mm-hmm. who are seen mm-hmm. and loved and known. Talk about the process of now in liberation becoming a seen one and becoming a known mm. one and becoming a loved one Woo! and appreciating that truly and fully. Yeah, I I think it's everything, bro. Like like as black writers, as 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 black people who 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 do work in public, like our job is simply this. It is to take what people think to be familiar and to look at it in unfamiliar and creative ways and to make people pause and to look again. That is simply our job. Like you think about your books, right? Let's think about this. James Baldwin in The Fire Next Time, the whole context of the first um, the first uh, section is looking at the Emancipation yes. Proclamation. But to look at the Emancipation Proclamation through the lens of him, this in- intimate moment um, w- of which I would call prayer, uh, that, that the first part of the fire next time is a prayer. It is a reaching beyond. It is a looking with. It is a pausing. And, and, and looking inside of oneself uh, to to make sense of uh, what is happening around us. What is what is prayer? But the ability to pause and look within and reach out mm-hmm. using the language of Henry now. Yes. Um, so so when I think about, you know, like this, 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 this idea of like black literature and black writing, like like so much of what we do is that it's like, yo, you can't we we can't just like skate over what what we have done we can't just move past it like we 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 have to look at what we created and realize like like this is the material of knowledge Mm. so to speak in the realm of philosophy or english literature or theology or sociology our lives are knowledge productions and this is this is actually what katie cannon uh and emily uh uh, Emily Towns would argue, uh, both in Katie's Canon and in Wom- uh, uh, um, uh, Womanist Ethics and the Cultural Production of Evil, uh, and even Toni Morrison when she's writing in the sight of memory, what she what they're gesturing at and what they're getting at is to say, look at what who we are, look at what we created, and that is how you learn to live. Mm. What is black writing but doing that? What what is Toni Morrison's beloved but looking again at the at the at the horrors of slavery but through the lens of another? Yes, right. 
What is W.E.B. Du Bois, The Souls of Black Folk? But looking at the time in this moment, uh, it was written, The Souls of Black Folk was written, wasn't it written in like 1906? Am I, 1906, 1907, if I'm not mistaken, maybe? I think it was written, Jamar, you, yeah, yeah, right at the turn of the century. Yeah, yeah. What if what what is what is that? But him taking you to those rural areas of Tennessee to look at life where black people live and create life beyond the white gaze. When he says, I have left the world of the white man, I have entered the veil. He's just Mm. entering the veil to say, look with me, look again. Uh, What is, you know, James Cone's a black theology of liberation, but him asking us to look again at the concept of God and how people have used this concept of God to 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 kind of solidify whiteness as a theological uh uh as as a theological um let's let's just let's just call it a theological as theological orthodoxy Mm -hmm. as the standard. Uh, what is uh, black speculative fiction uh, and, and black sci-fi? I'm thinking particularly of that book, Dark Matter, which is an old school, incredible old school book. What is that? But looking at the futures that black people imagine for ourselves, as Octavia Butler would say, looking into these dangers of this moment in the present, allowing them to turn into disasters uh, in the future and looking back at the present and asking how then should we yes. live right now and where that can make conditions better for us. What is that but actually taking the stuff of our life and looking at it again? Look at Hanif Adul-Rakib's Little Devil in America. He is telling you, look again at Aretha Franklin. Look again at Black Mm -hmm. Funerals. Uh, uh, Memory Reap with Jasmine Ward. She's telling you, look again at young black dudes growing up in the South. Yes. I'm thinking about the prophets and Robert Jones. He's telling you, look again at this moment of slavery through the lens of two gay black men. And what do they teach you about love in the midst of something terrible? What is Disha feel y'all's secret lives of church yes. ladies to allow you to look at the experience of black women in churches and the complexity of it. And I think what we do as writers, bro, is and it's the fun. That's the fun part of it. <laughs> yes. That's the love. That's why we go back to pain. it. Too. <laughs> because every yeah. time we write, yeah, look at it. Every time we write, we do it and we do it good and we do it again and again and again and we love it and we feel it and we explore it and we turn it over. And guess what? That's like 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 people talking football language like the fun is in the living. I mean, the fun is in the yeah. winning. For us, the fun is in yes. the living. It's in the writing. It's like you, Jamar, taking things where people look at in history and say, like, okay, white people may have done this, but this is what we did for ourselves. This is like the color of compromise is not just about what white people did to us. The color of compromise is how we pushed against these yes. barriers. All of this past the mic is about Oof. not just simply looking at the ability to speak in these moments, but it's saying that the mic should be passed not just to us, but to yes. others who is marginalized. So give them the mic. We're going to take it right here. We're going to do what we do and we're going to give it to somebody else. Yes. Somebody going to take it. They're going to do what they do and they're going to give it to somebody else. And we're going to keep going again and again and again. And we're going to look back 50 years from now. And guess what people are going to say in the language of Martin Luther King? There live the people. Yes. Mm. Oof. They live the great people. And that's what we're writing for. That's what we're living for, bro. My, my, my. My, my, my. <laughs> A whole word. That is incredible. Shouting. 
That is incredible. In the fire. Hey, wow. Wow. Lord, and we ain't even got into the, the book yet. <laughs> That's exactly, man. Like, I, Which is fine, I, though. Like, which is fine. It is it's cool. Book. It is, like, it is feel, because yeah. it's, li- it's living. It, it I feel book. like You're the right. book is living and it's continual. And every time I speak with Dante, this is really how the conversation goes because it's how does this work when we look again at our families, right. when we look again at our churches, right. when we look again at the ministry that we've been called to. And- I feel like shouting in the fire has so many extra chapters in these moments. <laughs> like it's, Facts. it's in this, it's in the the pages, it's in the, the loose leaf, but it's also deeper than that too. It's in the contents mm-hmm. of our souls and in our conversations. Mm-hmm. I have one more question and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> but man, when you talk about hope and yeah. what it means to offer hope, I'm so moved by that. And I'm moved by that, particularly in the time of a global pandemic, knowing that you penned this book <laughs> and had to write this book mm. in the midst of that pain right. and isolation. Right. And mm. here's what you say about hope, though. You say offering hope and meaning is a profoundly human task, but it is a profoundly harmful task when it always tells an optimistic story. Mm. It is a profoundly mm. Christian task as well. Faith and living can take but a few steps before crumbling if they are not tied to something with some weight to it. Mm. Dang, I wrote that. Exactly, bro. Dang, I need to text Kiese. I was like, dang, bro, that's not like something you were (laughs) The crumbling. Not just the not just the optimism, but the crumbling. That's the hope. Yeah. That they're that they're together, that they exist together. And that they continue together. Yeah. But but in this moment, as we yeah. transition into fully 2022 and into who knows what, we cannot predict the years anymore. We cannot predict time anymore. Um, it would be foolish of us to do so and attempt to do so. Man, when you think about this, what is the hope and the complicated hope that's necessary for the black Christian experience? I, I often think about the fact that we preach every mm. weekend and in the preaching moment, we're trying to offer people something, offer them hope, offer them life. But it's also a complicated journey because they come to the service mm-hmm. and the sermonic moment with pain and, and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And they bring all of that. Mm-hmm. They're fully embodied. They bring mm-hmm. all of that to that moment. And so what is the hope that is necessary in the black Christian experience? And how will that be mm-hmm. our sustaining force and power? Um, for a year like 2022. Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about this, man. Um, particularly as I think about like the demands and the exhaustion, because we, we, we just still exhausted. Yeah, and, right. and it's just the facts of life. Yes. It's like we're living, but we're living broken. Um, and, and I wrote this, I, I, I just love this essay. I just thought it was I was just in some sense, spiritually, I felt like God gave me a word um, in, in that essay, Stay Alive in the Meantime. And I opened up the essay with the, with the story of my granddaddy and his yes. broken piano, where this piano, this old grand piano sits, uh, used to sit when I was younger, that the old grand piano used to sit on the floors, the blue carpet of my grandfather's grandparents' living room floor. And that, bro, there were keys missing in this grand piano. And that if, 
like you hit it in the right place and things like that. You you could hit two keys at one time and like like it just was a broken a broken joint. And when I think about I write this when I when I think I said New Year's and new dreams are interesting. They feel something like that old piano. You know, it doesn't work, but you play it sometimes good and sometimes bad, sometimes making music and sometimes making chaos, sometimes fumbling your way into something beautiful. But you also know that some things just ain't working like they used to. Mm -hmm. That's just life. (laughs) We learn how to live with broken things. And that's just the facts of life, bro. That's the hope. That's for for me. Hope is not this. Like, I I don't want to sound bad at it, but like. Like hope is not this like objective reality that just keeps me going. Like I'm breathing, therefore I keep on living. And that the breath for me, let everything that has breath yes. praise the yes. Lord. So when I think about my breath, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Whatever, whatever, when I think about that text, bro, that that praise is me getting up and doing what I do that makes me feel alive. That is praise. That's hope for me. Some of that means that I'm have to learn how to live with broken things. I got breath. That doesn't mean that that breath is good breath. Mm. Sometimes that breath is on a ventilator. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that breath is suffocated as Jason writes in his new joint ain't burned all the bright. Sometimes that breath is suffocated by what you see on the news. Sometimes that breath is is faint as you look at you know, your bank account and you look at your numbers and you look at the page and nothing happens. You got no words. You got no thoughts. You're trying to stay up in the social media world. And, you know, you do like I do. Do I delete some old stuff, revise it, put it out because I feel like, yo, I got to I got to do something. I got to produce. I got to produce. And you look at the page and you got nothing. You just learn how to live with broken things. That breath ain't that breath ain't strong like it used to be. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to learn is that's the hope for us. Whatever we can do to make breathing for any one of us a little bit easier mm-hmm. and a little bit more visible and a little less taken for granted, then that for me is the hope. Let everything that have breath get up and do what you need to do. Brush your brush your teeth. Wash your, wash your face. Get up. Do what you got to do. Lay down for a little bit. Rest. You don't got to get up at four. You don't got to get up at five. Sleep in. But when you get up, actually be up and be about something. Mm. Because there's something that you are called to do every single day. There would be times, bruh, as I'm writing this book that was so depressing because the things that I'm writing about, it's like... I haven't dealt fully with it. I'm, yeah. I have to go through therapy and like, but I got a deadline, so I got to keep writing. And then there would be times where I go back to the page and I'm like, dang, will people actually get it the way I get the way I the way I'm giving it to them? But then the book comes out into the world, and I realize, like, dang, bro, like this is a real saturated market, and that this story that I'm trying to tell is not oftentimes a story that's just gonna like blow up. Right. But then I'm dealing with like the expectation, like all oh, day. I feel like you know I'm good at what. I do. So I need to, I deserve to be this here and be there when actuality realizing that, yo, hey, bro, you ain't on that level yet. And like the Bible saying Philippians three, you need to work whatever level you are at. And whenever we don't understand that, whenever we don't realize that, hey, bro, 
that, like that song, there's levels to this, that whenever we don't realize that level that we are at, oftentimes insecurity and fear is going to get the best mm. of us. And this is beyond preaching. This is beyond sermon prep. Yes. This is beyond yes, ministry yes. work. This is about who we believe ourselves to be. This is beyond recording this podcast right now and in this moment. This is like beyond all of whatever we beautiful things we put out into the world. What type of ways are we loving ourselves that we get that, that we actually get the things done that we need to get done, hmm. but we don't break ourselves in the process because we feel like we got to produce for hmm. some people that only want to exploit what we have and not enjoy and embrace the fullness of what we have to offer. And that right there will send us back to our study. It will send us back to our family. It will send us back to where we doing, whatever we doing, not having to be perfect, but showing up, yes. just master showing up. Show up for yourself. Whatever way we have to show up for ourselves in this year, show up for yourself. And when you can't show up, it's okay. Go to sleep because <laughs> yes. the Lord give his beloved yes. rest and rest a little bit. And when you when you when you can't you can't, you know, uh when you when you don't when you don't sleep well and you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, you know, we've been made and doing hey. for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There is something that's happening in the midnight hour in the watches of the night that I get up and the watches of the night are happening, but there is somebody there with me. Sometimes that is an awareness of God being there, but oftentimes there is not an awareness of God being there. So I need to go pick up some ball and remind me if I had not loved then none of us would have survived. Sometimes yes. the Bible ain't there. It's downstairs. And I just, I can't get up right now because I don't feel like getting up right now. And maybe I need to just go back to my text messages and realize that a friend sent me a prayer that I went over and didn't respond to. I go back to that prayer and realize like that was the thing I was praying about yes. the whole time. Yes. Maybe uh, that that's just, that, that just may be it. Whatever way we need to keep ourselves going for me, bro, that's the hope. And we got to do it together, bro. We got to do it together. Ain't none of us going to get through this by ourselves. We going, we, 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 like, like, why do we have to do that? Yeah. Like, why do we feel like we have to do that? We don't have to do that. None of us got to get through this by ourselves. Wow. It, it, sometimes we're going to be alone, but we, we need to check up on one another. Yes. You know, we, I know, I know we producing all this great content and producing all this wonderful stuff in the world, but how we doing? <laughs> How, how, how I'm feeling, you know, as you started with, how I'm feeling. And whenever I pay attention to that and pay attention to where I come from and pay attention to who I am, then I learn a little bit like what June Jordan said in Where is the Love? That I am black and I am a feminist. And that means this, that me being black and me being feminist means that I will love myself and respect myself as if Everything depended on my ability to have self-love and self-respect. That's hope. That's love. That's, that's what I'm trying to live, and I'm feeling that continually. Wow. Yeah. Bro, I feel like there's so much that we could keep talking so about, much. but it's, it's, the book is inexhaustible. I, people need to wrestle with it. They need to read it. They need to glean from it. They need to savor it. The book is Shouting, Shouting in, in the, the Fire. fire. There's absolutely no reason why it should not be in your library. There's no reason Support why you should not read it. And feed your soul when Listen, you, as you do. If you yeah. crack the book open, you won't be able to you put won't it be down. Able to put it down. It's tremendous. The way Dante speaks is the way he writes. That's what I was gonna say. And it's absolutely tremendous. And brother, I just we celebrate you. We celebrate this ongoing conversation that you're having with us at Past the Mic. 
that started in 2020, continued for Juneteenth of 2021, and is now continuing into 2022. And the conversation will continue. It will keep going. Um, and so I thank you for who yeah, you are. Yeah, don't forget about us when uh, look, Obama contacts you. Look. <laughs> Be like, hey, you want more great content? <laughs> hey. You know, start with my book. <laughs> check, this, check out hey, this podcast. Hey check, <laughs> hey, hey, check this out, bro. Hey, I learned this real early, you know. I learned this real early. You you go somewhere, wherever you go, you make sure you're not there Come alone. On. That's right. That's Come it. Because guess what? Wherever you go, it won't always love you. Oof. It won't always love you. And you got you to gotta realize this. Let me share somebody a word. I shared this with D- Dean Douglas uh, at, this, at, at our last event. We struggle with dealing with when you are emerging and when you are emeritus mm. and you got to learn how to live in between the two, whatever you do in between them two, you do that work real good. But in that emerging moment, you live in it. You love it. You do as best you can. You write, you live, you create, you go back, you do it. But when it's time to be emeritus, give it up, <laughs> let it go. And let somebody else shine. My, my, my. And you'll build, we trying to build a, Black ecosystem. Amiri Baraka said, I want the world to be a black poem. Mm. That's what we want. And I thank y'all, you know, for creating space for me continually and just the ways in which y'all invest uh, in my life, uh, continually your friendship, the way you pick up the phone, the way you've text, the way, you know, y'all just some real... You know, yeah. 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 Y'all, y'all know what y'all know yeah, what he's saying. Well, those who know, those who should You feel me? Yeah, you, you feel me? And so to, to the podcast listeners, to the Pastor Mike fam, many of you, to the hundreds and thousands of you that are connected, we thank you for yes, real. We do. Because the older you get hmm. and the more you go through, the harder it is to have friends, loved ones who feel like they will be with you no matter mm-hmm. what. So that you're still supporting and showing Oof. up, that means a hundred grand. Yes, it does. And we want to make sure that we thank you and let you know that you appreciate it because none of this, none of us would not be possible without you. And, and and we really do love you Amen. for real. So I love Dante, baby. my brother. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, you so us. much. Thank Blessing you. to you, bro. Yeah.